0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
1: Recorded at WeWork in Midtown Toronto, this is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, hosted by Adam Leventer. E2 is the podcast where great entrepreneurs tell their story. Hello, this is Will Hutchins from Espresso Capital. Espresso excited to be supporting the E2 podcast. As a leading North American venture debt firm, we're passionate about helping founders and entrepreneurs build successful businesses. We're also passionate about helping founders retain control of the businesses they build. Since 2009, Espresso has provided founder friendly, non dilutive capital solutions ranging in size from 1 million to 10 million to over 250 fast growing North American technology companies. Please visit us at espressocapital.com to learn more and join the many founders that have used Espresso to help accelerate their growth. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak to all kinds of entrepreneurs doing amazing things in business and beyond. And today's great conversation with Heidi Reimer-Epp. She turned her passion for sustainability into a company called Botanical Paperworks, a now award-winning business guided by environmental sustainability and practices. The company manufactures and markets eco-friendly seed paper that grows into flowers, herbs, and vegetables when planted in soil. As CEO and co-founder, Heidi has overseen botanical paperworks from startup to now international success story. And in this short episode, Heidi and I discuss, among other things, the business of paper, why content generation is everyone's role within the company, and Heidi's initial dream to one day IPO. So without further delay, here is my short but intriguing chat with entrepreneur Heidi Reimer-Epp.
0: Yeah, well, about uh, 20-plus years ago, I was working for a pharmaceutical company and loving that work doing marketing and business development and traveling to interesting places to negotiate the sale of these drugs that the company sold. But at the same time, like I've always been very creative, and I've always loved paper and making things, and I I guess I got that from my mom. Mm. And so my mom was on her own journey. She was a teacher. And she was really passionate about creative writing and creativity within the classroom. And it was before there were big recycling programs. So it killed her just a little bit every time that she saw these elementary school kids take their paper that they had done one scribble on and throw it in the garbage. So at that point, we decided to do a bit of market research and we developed a small line of uh, cards and envelopes. And we said, we'll go to five stores in our local area, and if three out of the five stores place an opening order, we're gonna take that as a thumbs up that we've got a marketable product. Well, all five placed orders. So we thought that was a pretty good sign, Mm. and decided that we would launch a paper-making company, a handmade paper company. The seed idea didn't come for years. We started just in these specialty papers using grasses and flowers and putting that into the fiber. And then we we started with a stationary line and a wedding invitation line.
1: This is, a, this is what, back in 1997, right? Or somewhere yeah. around that time? I mean, the times yep. were different then. I assume that you were an early innovator in the arena. Or were there other competitors doing this?
0: Well, it was hard to tell because you didn't have a well-developed internet that you could just go and do searches on. There was enough interest that it wasn't the first time someone had this idea, but we were on the cutting edge. And in fact, when we launched, we said, we're going to target this wedding industry, and we're going to do that with mail order. So we hired a graphic designer to help us put together a mail order catalog. And it was only when we were doing that catalog, and then we took out print advertising in a, in a cross-Canada wedding magazine, and the web the uh, graphic designer said to us, you know, there's this thing called the internet, and they say it's going to be big. So for $100 a page, can I put three pages up for you on the internet? So I went back to my mom and my husband and my my dad. Does this was my board of directors. And I said, you know, the internet, they say it's going to be big. Let's put up these three pages. And we gave them the go ahead. And then we started to get a ton of inquiries from the U.S. because the Americans were online faster than Canadians. Mm-hmm. So that launched the our web business.
1: Did you have one leg in the business and one leg out? Like, Were you still working as a pharmaceutical sales rep at this point? Or had you quit your job?
0: I quit my job because... You know, when we were doing that uh, market research and developing those product lines, I was trying to do both, Mm. but working a really big job during the day and then trying to develop products in the evening was impossible. I traveled a lot. I couldn't do it. So by that stage, I was married and my husband was done. I had worked while he was in law school, so he was now employed and he had an income. So we decided that I would quit my job and give this a try. And my rationale was, well, I'm still young enough that if it's a total failure, I can always find another job. And I just remember thinking, I got to do it now because I don't want to have any regrets later.
1: Do you recall what the first accounts were when things kind of started to snowball?
0: Yeah. I remember one of the first orders was a local wedding uh, client, a friend of the family, and she ordered something for $100. And that just was like amazing, $100, which was so ironic because... When I left the pharmaceutical company, one of the last contracts I closed or was in the process of just putting the finishing touches on was for $10 million. So I went from $10 million in sales to $100 sales and really rejoicing over that. But I mean, you have to, you got to start somewhere. And so once we were um, in these magazines across Canada, uh, we started to get inquiries and then we got sales. So that first year we hired our first employee. And then within three years, especially because now we had that website going and we had the American sales, now we were starting to add more employees. And I would say by year five, just because of the momentum and also because we were really good at search engine optimization, as it was in those early days, we were found and we and we made sales. At a certain point, the sales of the seed paper products outstripped the sales of everything else, and that's when we made a decision to rebrand. As a seed paper company exclusively, when we dropped all those other products and put all our energies into seed paper. Once we were into seed paper and this whole concept of being able to plant your paper and grow, it it connected us with the eco community and people who were looking for ways to make better eco choices in their lives and then in their businesses. So the next phase for us after that was to move into promotional products. Because in the promotional product industry, that's the industry that sells pens and post-it notes and caps, and anything with a logo on it, Mm -hmm. that was a a market that was hungry for ecological products. And our seed paper was perfect for that because now we were able to offer a bookmark or a um, flyer that you hand out at a trade show to advertise your company or your product and also walk the talk too. So you're not just saying we're eco-friendly or we really care about sustainability. You're saying, hey, look, I'm giving you this thing that you can plant and it leaves no waste and plus it grows habitat for the endangered pollinators like bees and butterflies. And so promotional products ended up being the next big stage for us. And it's really important to our company to this day.
1: The sustainability, I mean, I know that's a big theme nowadays. When you look back, I'm just curious to know, when did come companies start communicating their commitment to the environment and who are the trailblazers? Do you recall some of the company names um, that people might recognize?
0: The big corporations like Starbucks and McDonald's and the big brands that everybody uses day in and day out that are, are very deliberate and intentional and specific in their sustainability practices. And then there were also, and were back then, lots of little companies too that wanted to do good work and sustainable work in their little part of their market. And so we worked with a lot of soap companies, for example, that do wraps around their soap. So instead of having another plastic bit, they're using the seed paper. Uh, and they're small, and so they can make these changes in their packaging or their promotional product. We worked early on with Starbucks to create a gift card holder for them that went across North America in the stores that had seed paper component in it. It's really cool because seed paper is very, you can be really creative with it. So that's part of the enjoyment that I get out of running the company too, is seeing what people do and how we collaborate with them for their projects.
1: What's the scope of the business today?
0: Okay, well, so today we are in 40 countries around the world selling uh, seed paper products, mainly promotional products, wedding and, and memorial and sheets of paper that we manufacture We have a permanent staff of 25, but we scale up to 35 to 40 during our busy season, which is the first six months of the year. And that coincides with spring and summer promotions. That's when our product is especially popular. And um, last year, we shipped 1.8 million pieces of paper to those 40 countries. So we have hundreds and hundreds of SKUs we make so many different kinds of paper i don't even know it's a big operation when especially when i think about how we started in my parents basement
1: and do you have the production process under your own facility and what does that look like
0: yeah we are completely vertically integrated Hmm. so we manufacture the stock We do the design unless the client is supplying the design, but we design a lot of products for our consumer and promotional market. So we have in-house graphic designers and uh, marketers. We do all our own marketing. Jumping back to the production, we do the printing, converting, die cutting, assembly, shipping, everything, And which has been great for us because it means that we can really pivot when we want to. We've got complete control over the Whole production process and I think it's helps us serve our customers really well
1: and how have you guys financed the growth over the years uh, has that been a challenge
0: we used a combination of bank financing and then personal financing and that got us to a certain point but we had this crisis moment early on around 9-11 um, where we were we had been growing and investing in our production processes and really really were quite close to the edge in terms of money. We we took out some advertising in uh, an American publication, Martha Stewart Weddings, and we were waiting for that to pay off when 9-11 hit. And obviously, it's a tragedy beyond my own business experience, right? But it did have personal consequences for us, which is that then all business stopped. There was no money coming in. There was nothing, nothing shipping out. At that point, we really had to seek a different solution because the company needed money badly. So we ended up pairing with a local uh, organization called Women's Enterprise Center that provided financing to women-owned companies. And that was just in the nick of time. We manage our cash differently, obviously, but that financing was just perfectly timed. And then since then, we've been able to finance our growth through our own cash flow. Hmm. So that's been, that's worked really well for us. I know that's not the way everybody wants to go, but for us, that incremental growth and us being able to self-finance has been perfect.
1: Have you ever thought about what the next phase might look like? Have you ever entertained private equity or has that not come into the equation?
0: We like having the control that we have and we also are able to it, do what we need to do. It is still a niche product. So it just, our conclusion was that that's just not a fit for where we think we can and want to take the business.
1: Okay. I asked that because I know you had some big dreams early on. Apparently you had had decided that when you started in 10 years or so, you'd go public. Is there any truth to that?
0: (laughs) That's right. I was at... A business training session within the first month of starting the company. And I got up in front of this group of other entrepreneurs that were just starting out and boldly proclaimed this. I, at the time, you know, I thought that that was the holy grail, like that way you'd really made it if you got to that point. Hmm. I don't think I realized that it's a tool that you use if you need it.
1: Yeah. What do you say to young entrepreneurs that say, you know, I want to start this business and one day IPO?
0: I would ask how does how is that going to help you? because well, yeah, like I say it's a it's a tool and so it is definitely a fit for some entrepreneurs out there if you if a, a big amount of cash and the access to the expertise and you know everything that that has to offer you is going to propel you to where you want to go. you need to grab a big chunk of the market fast. that may serve you very well. Really understand why you're doing that and do your research and talk to entrepreneurs who on both sides of the, uh, of the argument before you make your decision.
1: So as you personally evolve and professionally evolve and as your company evolves, do you ever think about replacing yourself as the CEO?
0: At this point I've decided that I really enjoy personal growth and growing with the company. And so I took the strategy of undertaking my own personal and professional growth so that I could be the CEO that the company needs as, as we grow. And someday if those priorities change and I don't want to keep doing that or I sense that somebody else has something to offer what the company needs right now, well, then we'll revisit
1: that. So let me ask you about the strategy. So you're big on reading about social trends and changing of consumer behavior, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's important to stay on top of those types of shifts, specifically as it relates to companies and strategic direction. In your sector, how do you think about the next chapter of being an owner of a company that sells paper in an increasingly paperless world.
0: 2008, there were a lot of stationary stores that went out of business and even the ones that survived have brought in gift items and they're just not selling as much stationery because we're not using as much stationery. So, we did make a decision a couple of years ago, and it was hard because that was the first product line that got our business off the ground. But we decided to shut that down because we were just marginally profitable on that on the stationary line. So what we're doing now is we watch as people interact with our product, and we are ready to make the hard call to cut something. At the same time, we're also ready to find new products that we can apply or that we can translate into a seed paper product.
1: You're, I know, very involved um, in your province on a few different boards. How do you balance those responsibilities with uh, your day-to-day in the business?
0: For sure. Um, And that is something that I have to be very conscious of. So I serve on... The board of an insurance company in here in Manitoba, a mutual mm-hmm. insurance company, and then right now I'm chairing a national trade association called the PPBC. So for promotional products across Canada. In terms of balancing, I am very careful to, um, if I'm not going to be at work, I because I'm going to meetings because it does take me away from the office. Then I've s- structured my company so that it's essentially self-managing, so that I can be away and all the projects carry on and people are doing good work. Mm -hmm. So that was like how I lay the foundation for not having to be in the office five days a week. And of course we stay in touch with email and texting and that sort of thing, but when I go to these meetings, I'm practicing my skills as a strategist and I'm practicing it in these different contexts and in different industries, but there's a lot of stuff that is applicable that I can then bring back to my own company. So the time that I'm spending on the boards, I find it is worthwhile.
1: How did you find those positions? And for C-level executives that are are thinking about branching out into that world of serving on different boards, what would you advise?
0: I think your network is really important because the way it works uh, with boards often is that when they're going about doing their recruitment for the nominations committee is that they're tapping their network. Because that those are people that they have worked with or know well, and know that they would be a good fit for the board. So those opportunities for me came because of people that I knew that recommended me for consideration to the nominations committee. Mm. And I think the way you you hold yourself and you and you do run your business and just the way you show up in life that also speaks volumes to that network. Then and you, I got known. Or somebody that would be able to contribute in this way. So I think it also helps that if you're not necessarily going to be able to jump right into a corporate board position, but you get your feet wet and you start to learn some skills with a not-for-profit. And then you can parlay that into other boards because you're also gaining skills as you go. It's definitely a skill being a board member. There's a lot of resources out there to learn how to be a better board member, but you also are learning on the job.
1: If you were to start again, would it be in the paper business going forward? And if, you, if not, what would you do as a next chapter as an entrepreneur, do you think?
0: I will say that I am very product oriented. And even though maybe manufacturing isn't very sexy, I really love manufacturing because I love the process of coming up with an idea and then having a tangible output. Mm-hmm. So I probably would stay in manufacturing And also, I really am comfortable in a digital marketing environment. So I would combine that somehow as part of my distribution model. Anyways, that's the way it is nowadays. We're all using the internet for our distribution.
1: So with respect to digital marketing, I know there's a lot of people listening that will want to take away some some tips and tricks in that arena. What has been working for you guys? The
0: whole idea of um, content creation and content is everyone's business within the company. That has been working really well for us. So by producing blog posts and articles and videos and any type of content, flyers and catalogs and all sorts of stuff that we can put out there, that has been incredible for us because first of all, we're giving our customers tools that help them decide what to buy or educate them or just uh, answer questions that they may have about the product. The content also helps position us as experts in the eco-friendly, sustainable product market and seed paper specifically. Mm -hmm. It gives us content that we can put out there for SEO, for search engine optimization. So when we produce an article and then we can tweet it, we can put it on uh, with a picture on Instagram and we can put it into Pinterest and just put it every place that we can find our customers, that that helps with our Google ranking, helps us connect with customers. Uh, we use it then in our e-blasts. And so that is really the focus of our digital marketing. We use that content and spin it out all around the web in these different channels.
1: And you do that internally or is any of that work outsourced to a third party?
0: We do everything in-house, including our own SEO expertise. Over the years, it was started with me doing it all because, well, we had no money to pay anybody else to do it. But then it turned out that we were really good at working with search engine optimization and understanding this stuff. And we have kept that in-house because we want the control of that. It's such a key part of our strategy.
1: Probably a great strategy also in the face of all the snake oil that's being sold in the form of SEO agency.
0: The way I think about it is in terms of risk mitigation. So I, like I scan the business and I think, well, where are the risk points? And the risk points are for us in anything that we don't own. So we want to be able to respond really fast Mm -hmm. if there's an issue with our Google ranking or with any of our digital marketing. And so for that to have that control and mitigate the risk for me, that means us being the experts and knowing it. Now we don't program our own website. We have a company that does that because we don't do programming. And there are a few things we outsource, but we still want to be actively involved in the direction when it comes to usability and uh, you know the decisions regarding the website.
1: That's a really interesting perspective, too. It's almost contrarian to what everyone else is doing with this movement of outsourcing every single piece of the business in order to shave costs. But you're sort of coming at it from a different approach, which is in order to manage risk, keep everything under your own roof. Have you ever had a challenging time personally that that you felt was impacting your ability as a CEO in the business?
0: I found the times when I had small children really challenging. Running a company with a baby and a two-year-old and being so tired. And um, my husband and I share the load for sure. But those were very tired years. And wanting to do a good job in both uh, realms and wanting to show up when I'm with the kids and for them to have my attention, but also to really be at work. And there it, it was a lot of push and pull and trying to figure out how to do that well. I concluded that I would not be able to do it all well. So I did at that point make some decisions with running the company to hand over some responsibility to other people. So it did force me to delegate more. I cut back my hours and so I wasn't in the office, 70, 80 hours a week, I just couldn't do that anymore. And had to say, well, I need to regain some balance and and that's just the way it's going to be. It's funny the way life forces you to get yourself in balance sometimes when you can't decide on your own.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, it worked out okay again. Like it's, that's also a neat part of life.
1: <laughs> you, you come across very optimistic. I think that's probably something you've been told uh, by your peers. Is, is that correct?
0: Well, I guess it's just, there's been so many lessons and so many opportunities and I I like to reflect on it. And I think if you've got to be one or the other, maybe I'll pick optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: You mentioned business coaches. So there are um, obviously they're, they're everywhere. How do you decide whether or not a business coach is a fit? And is there a vetting process to find a business coach to make sure that You're going to get some value.
0: So the first coach that I worked with was here in Winnipeg. And I had heard her speak at a session here for entrepreneurs about money scripts and about the different messages that we subconsciously tell ourselves about money and how that affects your business. So money is bad. Money is scary. Money is power. There's just lots of different scripts. And I heard her speak and I thought, yeah, I've got I've got some stuff to work through. So I didn't bother talking to anybody else. I just called her up and, and we ended up coaching for a number of years.
1: Yeah, we've got narratives and belief systems going on in our minds about everything, including money. I think it's, it's a very interesting topic that is often taboo to talk about. But everyone's got a relationship with money, right? Regardless of how they want to feel about it on the outside, there's a narrative going on in their head about money is good, money's bad, money's something in between those two extremes whatever. But there is a story.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that came out of that session was that I realized that every month when I took a look at my financial statements that I felt a fear or like I was repulsed and repelled by the financial statements, which was crazy because I would need to be looking at the income statement and the balance sheet every month. Mm -hmm. So I did some digging into why was that? Why? and, And one of the things that I realized was that I didn't feel necessarily equipped to know if what it was telling me was correct, useful, or how to interpret it. So one of the things I did was I decided to learn more about financial reporting. I have a business degree. I took accounting courses, but applying it in the day-to-day of a business. So I booked a session with my accountant and asked every question that I wanted to about ratios and financial management. And I read some books, and that really helped me get over that sense of just not knowing what was going on with financial statements so that then those feelings of fear, I wasn't uh, repelled by them anymore.
1: I'll give you the last word, Heidi, in the last couple of minutes. Where do you want to point users to or listeners to with respect to Botanical Paperworks or anything else that you guys are working on?
0: Well, please go to botanicalpaperworks.com. That's our website and dig into the blog because we've done A lot of cool writing on ways to make simple changes to be more sustainable, more eco-friendly, things about seed paper, but especially about living green and making good choices. And the more more years I'm on this planet, the more I realize that we all need to be taking little steps. Those little steps add up to just reducing waste and consuming less, but also using what we've got and just being good eco-citizens. So please go check that out.
1: Awesome, Heidi. Well, congratulations on your 20-year career as an entrepreneur, everything you've built under Botanical Paperworks. It's all great. Thanks so much for coming on today.
0: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.
1: All right. Take care, Heidi.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and being a part of E2. E2 is brought to listeners in part by Scriberbase, building subscription businesses for retail brands. Visit scriberbase.com for more info. Indochino, made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at Indochino.com. And WeWork. WeWork is a global network of workspaces where people and companies grow together. WeWork, where businesses thrive. More at WeWork.com. Your positive support means a lot to us. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your audio. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. cast